Welcome to the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. This podcast will be a sharing of part of my morning routine as I prepare for the day with the Word of God. We will be partaking of Puritan prayers from the Valley of Vision, each day's morning devotional from Charles Haddon Spurgeon's Morning and Evening, and we'll be reading from the Legacy Standard Bible, which is the newest and, I believe, the most accurate translation of the Word of God. We will be following a Bible reading calendar that provides for reading the whole Bible in a year that was created by Minister Robert Murray McShane for his congregation back in 1842, and that has been a part of my daily reading for over six years now. Good morning and welcome to the morning segment of the Monday, February 20th episode of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. I am Wayne Floyd, your host. The Faith Comes From Hearing podcast is a humble member of the Christian podcast community. You can find us over at christianpodcastcommunity.org. I definitely would recommend you to go over there and take a look. There's a lot of great listening over there. It's definitely worth your while. Uh, I I do want to continue to point you at the final link in the show notes. That is a link to the Vail Valley Baptist Church Give, Send, Go campaign. Uh, We are striving to rapidly pay off our mortgage so we can shift gears and commence establishment of a Christian classical education-based school um, to offer an alternative in in our community. So definitely click on the link. Go read about what we're doing. It's a little bit better description than I've just given you. And then we would ask three things of you. We would ask you to pray for us. We would ask you to prayerfully consider giving to us, and then we would ask you to pass the link along to others so they can do the same thing. All right, well, we're going to continue on in our reading in the scriptures, and I do want to point out, so I've had to make some executive decisions. We are going to continue on in the evenings reading from uh, Thomas Watson's uh, The Godly Man's Picture for the next week or so. Um, to give me a chance to get caught, well, actually to get get ahead a little bit, get get enough uh, get enough prep done. So uh, especially because I'm going to be, well, it'll be end of March, but going to be coming up preaching then. So I'm trying to get ahead to leave myself enough time to properly prepare um, a church sermon. Um, so for the congregation, so we're going to be reading that for a little while. Uh, definitely want to get some time. And honestly, uh, one of my listeners who who I speak with regularly. Um, was really kind of bummed out that it was just on the weekend. He, um, he wanted to listen to it more. So again, I made the executive decision. So we're going to continue do, doing that reading. I, I hope it's edifying to you. Uh, we'll, we'll just have to see. Um, you know, I hope, I hope it's good for you. I've definitely been enjoying it. So we will continue with that. So let's go ahead and get on with our reading. We're going to go ahead and open up this morning with it being a Monday morning with the second from Valley of Vision, the second day morning prayer. It's called God over all. Let's pray. O God, all sufficient, thou hast made and uphold us all things. By the word of thy power, darkness is thy pavilion. Thou walkest on the wings of the wind. All nations are nothing before thee. One generation succeeds another, and we hasten back to the dust. The heavens we behold will vanish away, like the clouds that cover them. The earth we tread on will dissolve as a morning dream. But thou, unchangeable and incorruptible, art forever and ever. God over all, blessed eternally. Infinitely great and glorious art thou. We are thy offspring and thy care. Thy hands have made and fashioned us. Thou hast watched over us with more than parental love, more than maternal tenderness. Thou hast holden our soul in life and not suffered our feet to be moved. The divine power has given us all things necessary for life and godliness. 
Let us bless thee at all times, and forget not how thou hast forgiven our iniquities, healed our diseases, redeemed our lives from destruction, crowned us with loving kindness and tender mercies. <coughs> Excuse me. Satisfied our mouths with good things, renewed our youth like the eagles. May thy holy scriptures govern every part of our lives and regulate the discharge of all our duties, so that we may adorn thy doctrine in all things. Amen. All right. And our morning devotion from Spurgeon's Morning and Evening for February 20th. Uh, the text is from 2 Corinthians 7, 6. God that comforteth those that are cast down. And who comforteth like him? Go to some poor, melancholy, distressed child of God. Tell him sweet promises and whisper in his ear choice words of comfort. He is like the deaf adder. He listens not to the voice of the charmer. Charm he never so wisely. He is drinking gall and wormwood and comfort him as you may. It will be only a note or two of mournful resignation that you will get from him. You will bring forth no psalms of praise, no hallelujahs, no joyful sonnets. But let God come to, the, to his child. Let him lift up his countenance and the mourner's eyes glisten with hope. Do you not hear him sing? Tis paradise if thou art here. If thou depart, tis hell. You could not have cheered him, but the Lord has done it. He is the God of all comfort. There is no balm in Gilead, but there is balm in God. There is no physician among the creatures, but the Creator is Jehovah Rophi. It is marvelous how one sweet word of God will make whole songs for Christians. One word of God is like a piece of gold, and the Christian is the gold beater, and can hammer that promise out for whole weeks. So then, poor Christian, thou needest not sit down in despair. Go to the Comforter and ask him to give thee consolation. Thou art a poor dry well. You have heard it said that when a pump is dry, you must pour water down it first of all, and then you will get water. And so, Christian, when thou art dry, go to God. Ask him to shed abroad his joy in thy heart, and then thy joy shall be full. Do not go to earthly acquaintances, or you will find them Job's comforters after all. But go first and foremost to thy God that comforteth those that are cast down. And you will soon say, In the multitude of my thoughts within me, thy comforts delight my soul. All right. Now we're going to get on into our reading. Uh, we're going to be starting in Leviticus 9, verse 7. Moses then said to Aaron, Come near to the altar and offer your sin offering and your burnt offering, that you may make atonement for yourself and for the people. Then offer the offering for the people, that you may make atonement for them, just as Yahweh has commanded. So Aaron came near to the altar and slaughtered the calf of the sin offering, which was for himself. Then Aaron's sons brought the blood near to him, and he dipped his finger in the blood, and put some on the horns of the altar, and poured out the rest of the blood at the base of the altar. The fat and the kidneys and the lobe of the liver of sin offering he then offered up in smoke on the altar, just as Yahweh had commanded Moses. The flesh and the skin, however, he burned with fire outside the camp. Then he slaughtered the burnt offering, and Aaron's sons handed the blood to him, and he splashed it around on the altar. And they handed the burnt offering to him in pieces, with the head, and he offered them up in smoke on the altar. He also washed the entrails and the legs and offered them up in smoke with the burnt offering on the altar. Then he brought near the people's offering and took the goat of the sin offering, which was for the people, and slaughtered it and offered it for sin, like the first. 
He also brought near the burnt offering and offered it according to the legal judgment. Next he brought near the grain offering and filled his hand with some of it, and offered it up in smoke on the altar, besides the burnt offering of the morning. Then he slaughtered the ox and the ram, the sacrifice of peace offerings, which was for the people, and Aaron's sons handed the blood to him, and he splashed it around on the altar. As for the portions of fat from the ox and from the ram, the fat tail and the fat covering, and the kidneys and the lobe of the liver, they now placed the portions of fat on the breasts, and he offered them up in smoke on the altar. But the breasts and the right thigh Aaron waved as a wave offering before Yahweh, just as Moses had commanded. Then Aaron lifted up his hands towards the people and blessed them, and he stepped down after offering the sin offering and the burnt offering and the peace offerings. And Moses and Aaron went into the tent of meeting. Then they came out and blessed the people, and the glory of Yahweh appeared to all the people. Then fire came out from before Yahweh and consumed the burnt offering and the portions of fat on the altar, and all the people saw it and shouted and fell on their faces. All right, Leviticus 10, we're going to read through to verse 20. Then Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, took their respective firepans and put fire in them. Then they placed incense on it and offered strange fire before Yahweh, which he had not commanded them. And fire came out from the presence of Yahweh and consumed them, and they died before Yahweh. Then Moses said to Aaron, It is what Yahweh spoke, saying, By those who come near me I will be treated as holy, and before all the people I will be glorified. So Aaron kept silent. Then Mo Moses called to Mishael and Elzaphan, the sons of Aaron's uncle Uziel, and said to them, Come near. Carry your relatives away from the front of the sanctuary to the outside of the camp. So they came near and carried them still in their tunics to the outside of the camp, as Moses had said. Then Moses said to Aaron and to his sons, Eleazar and Ithamar, Do not uncover your heads nor tear your clothes, so that you will not die, and that he will not become wrathful against all the congregation. But your relatives, the whole house of Israel, shall weep over the burning which Yahweh has brought about. You shall not even go out from the doorway of the tent of meeting, lest you die, for the anointing oil of Yahweh is upon you. So they did according to the word of Moses. Yahweh then spoke to Aaron, saying, Do not drink wine or strong drink, neither you nor your sons with you, when you come into the tent of meeting, so that you will not die. It is a perpetual statute throughout your generations, and so as to separate between the holy and the profane, and between the unclean and the clean and so as to instruct the sons of Israel in all the statutes which Yahweh has spoken to them through Moses. Then Moses spoke to Aaron and to his remaining sons, Eleazar and Ithamar, Take the remaining grain offering from the offering to Yahweh by fire, and eat it unleavened beside the altar, for it is most holy. And you shall eat it in a holy place, because it is a statute for you, and a statute for your sons taken out of the offerings of Yahweh by fire. For thus I have, com have been commanded." The breast of the wave offering, however, and the thigh of the contribution offering, you may eat in a clean place, you and your sons and your daughters with you, for they have been given as a statute for you and a statute for your sons taken out of the sacrifices of the peace offerings of the sons of Israel. The thigh contributed by raising up and the breast offered by waving, they shall bring along with the offering by fire of the portions of fat to wave as a wave offering before Yahweh. So it shall be a perpetual statute for you and your sons with you, just as Yahweh has commanded. But Moses searched carefully for the goat of the sin offering, and behold, it had been burned up. 
So he was angry with Aaron's remaining sons, Eleazar and Ithamar, saying, Why did you not eat the sin offering at the holy place? For it is most holy, and he gave it to you to bear away the guilt of the congregation, to make atonement for them before Yahweh. Behold, since its blood had not been brought inside into the sanctuary, you should certainly have eaten it in the sanctuary, just as I commanded. But Aaron spoke to Moses, Behold, this very day they brought near their sin offering and their burnt offering before Yahweh. Then things like these happened to me. So if I had eaten a sin offering today, would it have been good in the sight of Yahweh? So Moses heard this, and it was good in his sight. All right. Now Mark 4, starting in verse 26. And he was saying, The kingdom of God is like a man who casts seed upon the soil, and he sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows how? He himself does not know. The soil produces crops by itself, first the blade, then the head, then the mature grain in the head. But when the grain is ripe, he immediately puts in the sickle, because the harvest has come. And he was saying, How shall we compare the kingdom of God, or by what parable shall we present it? It is like a mustard seed, which when sown upon the soil, though it is smallest of all the seeds that are upon the soil, yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes largest of all the garden plants, and forms large branches, so that the birds of the air can nest under its shade. And with many such parables he was speaking the word to them as they were able to hear it. And he was not speaking to them without a parable, but he was explaining everything privately to his own disciples. And on that day when evening came, he said to them, Let us go over to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him along with them in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling up. And Jesus himself was in the stern, sleeping on the cushion. And they got him up and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he woke up and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Silence, be still. And the wind died down, and it became perfectly calm. And he said to them, Why are you so cowardly? Do you still have no faith? And they became very afraid and were saying to one another, Who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? Mark 5, we're going to read through to verse 20. Then they came to the other side of the sea, into the region of the Gerasenes. And when he got out of the boat, immediately a man from the tombs with an unclean spirit met him, who had his dwelling among the tombs. And no one was able to bind him any more, even with a chain, because he had often been bound with shackles and chains, and the chains had been torn apart by him, and the shackles broken in pieces, and no one was strong enough to subdue him. And constantly, night and day, among the tombs and in the mountains, he was screaming and gashing himself with stones. And seeing Jesus from a distance, he ran up and bowed down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What do I have to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I implore you by God, do not torment me. For he had been saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And he was asking him, What is your name? And he said to him, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he began pleading with him earnestly not to send them out of the region. Now there was a large herd of swine feeding nearby on the mountain. And the demons pleaded with him, saying, Send us into the swine, so that we may enter them. And Jesus gave them permission, and coming out the unclean spirits entered the swine, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea, about two thousand of them, and they were drowned in the sea. And their herdsmen ran away and reported it in the city and in the countryside, and the people came to see what it was that had happened. 
And they came to Jesus and observed the demon-possessed man sitting down clothed and in his right mind, the very man who had the legion, and they became frightened. And those who had seen it recounted to them how this had happened to the demon-possessed man, and all about the swine. And they began to plead with him to leave their region. And as he was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed was pleading with him that he might accompany him. And he did not let him, but he said to him, Go home to your people and report to them what great things the Lord has done for you, and how he had mercy on you. And he went away and began to preach in the Decapolis what great things Jesus had done for him, and everyone was marveling. All right. And now Psalm 37, verses 30 through 40. The mouth of the righteous utters wisdom, and his tongue speaks justice. The law of his God is in his heart. His steps do not slip. The wicked spies upon the righteous and seeks to put him to death. Yahweh will not forsake him in his hand. He will not condemn him when he has judged. Hope for Yahweh and keep his way, and he will exalt you to inherit the land. When the wicked are cut off, you will see it. I have seen a wicked, ruthless man, spreading himself like a luxuriant tree in its native soil. Then he passed away, and behold, he was no more. I sought for him, but he could not be found. Observe the blameless man, and behold the upright, for the man of peace will have a posterity. But transgressors will be altogether destroyed. The posterity of the wicked will be cut off. But the salvation of the righteous is from Yahweh. He is their strength in time of distress. Yahweh helps them and protects them. He protects them from the wicked and saves them, saves them because they take refuge in him. And finally, Proverbs 10, verses 6 and 7. Blessings are in the head of the righteous, but the mouth of the wicked covers up violence. The remembrance of the righteous is blessed, but the name of the wicked will rot. All right, well, that is our reading for the day. Um, again, I thank you for spending the time with me. I hope the time has been edifying for you, that exposure to Scripture. Um, definitely, it, it, we need to be in Scripture constantly. We need to be listening to it. We need to be reading it. We need to be studying it. We need to be praying over it. We need to be meditating through it. We need to be being preached to and te- taught of it. So uh, we need to be in it all the time, just like we need to be praying at all times. We need to be in the, in the Scripture all the time. Um, so thank you for spending the time with me again. I hope it was helpful for you. Um, I hope you have a wonderful day. I would continue to implore you as you go out into the world to do all you do for the glory of God and God willing, I will see you this evening. Uh, we're going to go ahead and close with another prayer from Valley of Vision. This one is called Christian Calling. Let's pray. O Lord God, the first act of calling is by thy command in thy word. Come unto me, return unto me. The second is to let in light so that I see that I am called particularly, and perceive the sweetness of the command, as well as its truth. In regard to thy great love of the sinner, by inviting him to come through vile, though vile, in regard to the end of the command, which is fellowship with thee, in regard to thy promise in the gospel, which is all of grace. Therefore, Lord, I need not search to see if I am elect or loved, for if I turn thou wilt come to me. Christ has promised me fellowship if I take him, and the Spirit will pour himself out on me, abolishing sin and punishment, assuring me of strength to persevere. It is thy pleasure to help all that pray for grace, and come to thee for it. When my heart is unsavory with sin, sorrow, darkness, hell, only thy free grace can help me act, with deep abasement under a sense of unworthiness.
Let me lament for forgetting daily to come to thee, and cleanse me from the deceit of bringing my heart to a duty, because the act pleased me or appealed to reason. Grant that I may be salted with suffering, with every exactment tempered to my soul, every rod excellently fitted to my back, to chastise, humble, break me. Let me not overlook the hand that holds the rod, as thou didst not let me forget the rod that fell on Christ and drew me to him. Amen. All right, again, I hope you have a wonderful day. And like I said, hopefully I will see you this evening. Have a good one. God bless. Welcome to the evening segment of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. Good evening and welcome to the evening segment of the Monday, February 20th episode. That's episode 173 of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. I continue to be Wayne Floyd, your host. The Faith Comes From Hearing podcast is a humble member of the Christian podcast community. You can find us at christianpodcastcommunity.org. I would definitely encourage you to go over there. Great, great listening. Great brothers and sisters in Christ doing a lot of good work. It's definitely worth your time. Um, I want to remind you we are going to be continuing on um, in our reading of Thomas Watson. We're not going to be going back to our Bible study just yet. So we're going to be continuing on reading in Thomas Watson's uh, The Godly Man's Picture this evening. So so we can cover more ground, um, as, as I'm sure we'd all like to, um, because we want to hear more of it or hear more sections of it, because um, I'm only reading for so long each evening. <clears throat> Let's go ahead and get started. So we're going to open up with another prayer from the Valley of Vision. This one is called The Second Coming, The Second Coming. Let's pray. O Son of God and Son of Man, Thou wast incarnate, didst suffer, rise, ascend for my sake. Thy departure was not a token of separation, but a pledge of return. Thy word promises sacraments, show thy death, until then come again. That day is no horror to me, for thy death has redeemed me, thy spirit fills me, thy love animates me, thy word governs me. I have trusted thee, and thou hast not betrayed my trust, waited for thee, and not waited in vain. Thou wilt come to raise my body from the dust, and reunite it, it to my soul. By a wonderful work of infinite power and love, greater than that which bounds the ocean waters, ebbs and flows the tide, keeps the stars in their courses, and gives life to all creatures. This corruptible shall put on incorruption, this mortal immortality, this natural body a spiritual body, this dishonored body a glorious body, this weak body a body of power. I triumph now in thy promises as I shall do in their performance, for the head cannot live if the members are dead. Beyond the grave is resurrection, judgment, acquittal, dominion. Every event and circumstance of my life will be dealt with, the sins of my youth, my secret sins, the sins of abusing thee, of disobeying thy word, the sins of neglecting ministers' admonitions, the sins of violating my conscience, all will be judged, and after judgment, peace and rest, life and service, employment and enjoyment for thine elect. O God, keep me in this faith, and ever looking for Christ's return. Amen. All right, our evening devotion from Spurgeon's Morning and Evening for February 20th. The text is in Matthew 4.1. Then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. 
A holy character does not avert temptation. Jesus was tempted. When Satan tempts us, his sparks fall upon tinder. But in Christ's case, it was like striking sparks on water. Yet the enemy continued his evil work. Now if the devil goes on striking when there is no result, how much more will he do if when he knows what inflammable stuff our hearts are made of? Though you become greatly sanctified by the Holy Ghost, expect that the great dog of hell will bark at you still. In the haunts of men we expect to be tempted, but even seclusion will not guard us from the same trial. Jesus Christ was led away from the human society into the wilderness and was tempted of the devil. Solitude has its charms and its benefits and may be useful in checking the lust of the eye and the pride of life, but the devil will follow us into the most lovely retreats. Do not suppose that it is only the worldly-minded who have dreadful thoughts and blasphemous temptations. For even spiritual-minded persons endure the same, and in the holiest position we may suffer the darkest temptation. The utmost consecration of spirit will not ensure you against satanic temptation. Christ was consecrated through and through. It was his meal and drink to do the will of him that sent him, and yet he was tempted. Your hearts may glow with a seraphic flame of love to Jesus, and yet the devil will try to bring you down to Laodicean lukewarmness. If you will tell me when God permits a Christian to lay aside his armor, I will tell you when Satan has left off temptation. Like the old knights in wartime, we must sleep with helmet and breastplate buckled on, for the arch-deceiver will seize our first unguarded hour to make us his prey. The Lord keep us watchful in all seasons and give us a final escape from the jaw of the lion and the paw of the bear. All right, well, like I said, we're going to continue on in our reading of Thomas Watson. Um, this is the godly man's picture. Again, this is a this is a treatise on what a godly man should look like. And of course, this applies to godly women as well. So please don't think if, you, if you're a woman listening that this doesn't apply to you. It applies to all of us. It is basically the godly Christian's picture. Um, so we're going to continue reading. We had already moved into um, area four, which was about sharing the characteristics of a godly man. And we already dealt with the first one, which was, I'm going to back up here so I can verify it. Um, the first part was the 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 first fundamental sign is that a godly man is a man of knowledge so we dealt with man of knowledge last evening we're going to continue on and we're probably going to get through a number of sections tonight because some of these sections are smaller okay so and and fortunately so so please bear with me um i was able to get an electronic version which is going to be easier to read in this low light den i'm in so Hopefully uh, this will be easier to continue to read, though it doesn't really have the structure of the written word. So we'll see how this goes. Fortunately, I have both now. Um, and just to let you know, you can get it yourself. I got it for on Kindle for 99 cents. So definitely worth your while. So section two, this is our next characteristic. A godly man is a man moved by faith. As gold is the most precious among the metals, so is faith among the graces. Faith cuts us off from the wild olive tree of nature and grafts us into Christ. Faith is the vital artery of the soul. The just shall live by faith. Habakkuk 2.4 Those who are destitute of faith, though they breathe, yet they lack life. Faith is the quickener of the graces. Not a grace stirs until faith sets it working. Faith is to the soul what the animal spirits are to the body. They excite lively activity in it. Faith excites repentance. When I believe God's love for me, this makes me weep 
that I should sin against so good a God. Faith is the mother of hope. First we believe the promise, then we hope for it. Faith is the oil which feeds the lamp of God. Faith and hope are two turtle dove graces. Take away one, and the other languishes. If the sinews are cut, the body is lame. If the sinew of faith is cut, hope is lame. Faith is the ground of patience. The one who believes that God is his God, and that all providences work for his good, patiently yields himself to the will of God. Thus faith is a living principle. The life of a saint is nothing else but a life of faith. His prayer is the breathing of faith. His obedience is the result of faith. A goodly man lives in Christ by faith, as the beam lives in the sun. I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. Galatians 2.20 A Christian, by the power of faith, sees above human reason, treads above the moon. 2 Corinthians 4.18 Number 1. By faith his heart is finally quieted. He trusts himself and all his affairs to God. Psalm 112.7 As in times of war, men get into a garrison and entrust themselves and their treasures there. So the name of the Lord is a strong tower. Proverbs 18.10 And a believer entrusts all that he is worth in, his, in this garrison. I know, whom who, I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. 2 Timothy 1.12 God trusted Paul with his gospel, and Paul trusted God with his soul. Faith is a panacea or a remedy against all troubles. It is a godly man's sheet anchor, Two, a sheet anchor which he casts out into the sea of God's mercy and is kept from sinking in despair. Use. Let us test ourselves by this characteristic. Alas, how far from being godly are those who are destitute of faith? They are altogether drowned in sense. I'm sorry, drowned in sense. Most men are spiritually blind. They can only see just before them. Second Peter 1 9. I have read of a people in India who are born with one eye. Such are they who are born with the eye of reason, but lack the eye of faith. Because they do not see God with bodily eyes, they do not believe in God. They may as well not believe they have souls, because these cannot be seen either. Oh, where is the one who lives in Excelsis, the highest who has gone into the upper region and sees things not seen? Hebrews 11.27 If men live by faith, would they use sinful means for a livelihood? Chrysostom If there were faith, would there be so much fraud? If faith lived, would men, like dead fish, swim downstream? In this age, there is scarcely so much faith to be found among men as there is among the devils. For they believe and tremble. James 2.19 It was a grave and serious comment of Mr. Greenham that he did not fear papism. That he did not fear papism would be England's ruin, but atheism. I will not expand on this topic, having largely done so in another discourse. <clears throat> Section 3. A godly man is fired with love to God. I love the Lord, for he heard my voice. He heard my cry to mercy. Psalm 116.1. Faith and love are the two poles on which all religion turns. A true saint is carried in that chariot, the midst of which is paved with love. Song of Songs 3.10. As faith quickens, so love sweetens every duty. The sun mellows the fruit, so love mellows the services of religion, and gives them a better relish. A godly man is sick from love. Lord, you know that I love you. John 21.16. 
Though, dear Savior, I denied you, it was for lack of strength, not for lack of love. God is the fountain and quintessence of goodness. His beauty and sweetness lay constraints of love upon a gracious heart. God is the saint's portion. Psalm 119.57 And what portion is more loved? I would hate my own soul, says Augustine, Augustine, sorry, if I found it not loving God. A godly man loves God, and therefore he delights to be in his presence. <clears throat> he loves God, and therefore he takes comfort in nothing without him. Have you seen him whom my soul loves? Song of Songs 3.3 The pious soul loves God, and therefore thirsts after him. The more he has of God, the more he still desires. A sip of the wine of the Spirit whets the appetite for more. The soul loves God, and therefore rejoices to think of his appearing. 2 Timothy 4.8 He loves him, and therefore he longs to be with him. Christ was in Paul's heart, and Paul would be in Christ's bosom. Philippians 1.23 Once the soul is like God, it would, be, it would gladly be with God. A gracious heart cries out, Oh, that I had wings, that I might fly away and be with my love Christ. The bird desires to be out of the cage, though it is hung with pearl. Such is the love a gracious soul bears to God, that many waters cannot quench it. He loves even a frowning God. Though I am out of sight and clean forgot, let me not love thee if I love thee not. 1. A godly man loves God, though he is reduced to straits. A mother and her child of nine years were about to perish of hunger. The child looking at its mother said, Mother, do you think God will starve us? No, child, said the mother, he will not. The child replied, But if he does, we must love him and serve him. Use. Let us test our godliness by this touchstone. Do we love God? Is he our treasure and center? Can we, with David, call God our joy? Yes, our exceeding joy. Psalm 50, 43, 4. Do we delight in drawing near to him and come before his presence with singing? Psalm 100, verse 2. Do we love him for his beauty more than his jewels? Do we love him when he seems not to love us? If this is the sign of a godly man, how few will be found in that number? Where is the man whose heart is dilated in love to God? Many court him, but few love him. People are for the most part eaten up with self-love. They love their ease, their worldly profits, their lust, but they do not have a drop of love for God. If they loved God, would they be so willing to be rid of him? They say to God, depart from us, Job 21.14. If they loved God, would they tear his name by their oaths? Does the one who shoots his father in the heart love him? Though they worship God, they do not love him. They are like the soldiers who bowed the knee to Christ and mocked him, Matthew 27.29. The one whose heart is a grave in which the love of God is buried deserves to have that curse written on his tombstone. Let him be anathema, maranatha. 1 Corinthians 16.22 A soul void of divine love is a temper that best suits damned spirits. But I, but I will waive this and pass to the next. Section 4 A godly man is like God. <clears throat> he has the same judgment as God. He thinks of things as God does. He has a godlike disposition. He partakes of the divine nature. 2 Peter 1.4 a godly man bears both God's name and image. Godliness is God-likeness. It is one thing to profess God, another thing to resemble him. A godly man is like God in holiness. 
Holiness is the most brilliant pearl in the King of Heaven's crown. Glorious in holiness. Exodus 15.11 God's power makes him mighty. His mercy makes him lovely. But his holiness makes him glorious. The holiness of God is the intrinsic purity of his nature and his abhorrence of sin. A godly man bears some kind of analogy with God in this. He has the holy oil of consecration upon him. Aaron, the saint of the Lord, Psalm 106.16. Holiness is the badge and mark of Christ's people. The people of your holiness, Isaiah 63.18. The godly are a holy as well as a royal priesthood, 1 Peter 2.9. Nor do they have only a frontispiece of holiness, like the Egyptian temples which were only fair outside, but they are like Solomon's temple which had gold inside. They have written upon their heart holiness to the Lord. The holiness of the saints consists in their conformity to God's will, which is the rule and pattern of all holiness. Holiness is a man's glory. Aaron put on garments for glory and for beauty. Exodus 28.2 So when a person is invested with the embroidered garment of holiness, it is for glory and beauty. The goodness of a Christian lies in his holiness, just as the goodness of the air lies in its clarity, and the worth of gold lies in its purity. Question. And what do the godly reveal their holiness? Answer. Number one. In hating the garment spotted by the flesh. Jude 23. The godly set themselves apart against evil, both in purpose and in practice. They are fearful of what looks like sin. 1 Thessalonians 5.22. The appearance of evil may prejudice a weak Christian. If it does not defile a man's own conscience, it may offend his brother's conscience conscience, and to sin against him is to sin against Christ. 1 Corinthians 8.12. A godly man will not go as far as he may, lest he go further than he should. He will not swallow all that others bribed all that others bribed with preferment may plead for. It is easy to put a golden collar, a golden color on rotten stuff. Answer two. The, the godly reveal their holiness in being advocates for holiness. I will speak of your testimonies before kings and will not be ashamed. Psalm 119.46 When piety is slandered in the world, the saints will stand up in its defense. They will wipe off the dust of a reproach from the face of religion. Holiness defends the godly, and the godly will defend holiness. It defends them from danger, and they will defend it from disgrace. Use 1. How can those who are unlike God be reputed to be godly? They have nothing of God in them not one shred of holiness. They call themselves Christians, but blot out the word holiness. You may as well call it day at night. So impudent are some that they boast they are none of the holy ones. Is it not the spirit of holiness which marks off the sheep of Christ from the goats? You were sealed or marked with the Holy Spirit, Ephesians 1.13. And is it a matter for men to boast of that they have none of the Spirit's earmarks upon them? Does the apostle not say that without holiness no man shall see the Lord? Hebrews 12.14 Those who bless themselves in their unholiness had best go ring the bells for joy, that they shall never see God. There are others who hate holiness. Sin and holiness never meet without fighting. Holiness discharges its fire of zeal against sin, and sin spits its venom of malice at holiness. Many pretend to love Christ as a Savior, but they hate him as he is the Holy One. Acts 3.14. Use. Number 2. Let us labor to be like God in holiness. Motive 1. This is God's great design, which he drives on in the world. 
it is the end for which the world is preached for, for which for which the word is preached the silver drip the silver drips of the sanctuary are to water the seed of grace and make a crop of holiness spring up what use is there in the promises except to bribe us to holiness what are all god's providential dispensations for for except to promote holiness as the lord makes use of all the seasons of the year frost and heat to bring on the harvest so all properous prosperous and adverse providences are for promoting the work of holiness in the soul what is the end of the mission of the spirit except to make the heart holy when the air is unwholesome by reason of fog and mist the wind is a fan to winnow and purify the air so the blowing of god's spirit upon the heart is to purify it and make it holy motive two holiness is that alone which god is delighted with when Tamerlane was presented with a pot of gold, he asked whether the gold had his father's stamp on it, but when he saw it had the Roman stamp, he rejected it. Holiness is God's stamp and impress. If he does not see this stamp on us, he will not own us. Motive 3. Holiness fits us for communion with God. Communion with God is a paradox to the men of the world. Not everyone who hangs about the court speaks with the king. We may approach the God in our duties, and as it were, hang about the court of heaven, yet not have communion with God. What keeps up the communion with God is holiness. The holy heart enjoys much of God's presence. He feels heartwarming and heart-comforting virtue in an ordinance. Where God sees his likeness, there he gives his love. Section 5. A godly man is very exact and careful about the worship of God. The Greek word for godly signifies a right worshiper of God. A godly man reverences divine institutions and is more for the purity of worship than the pomp. Mixture in sacred things is like a dash in the wine, which though it gives it a color, it only adulterates it. The Lord wanted Moses to make the tabernacle according to the pattern in the mount. Exodus 25.40 If Moses had left out anything in the pattern or added anything to it, it would have been very provoking to God. The Lord has always given testimonies of his displeasure against those who have corrupted his worship. Nadab and Abihu offered strange fire, different than what God had sanctified on the altar, and fire went out from the Lord and devoured them. Leviticus 10, 1 and 2. Whatever is not of God's own appointment in his worship, he looks upon as strange fire. And no wonder he is so highly incensed at it, for it is as if God were not wise enough to appoint the manner in which he would be served. Men will prescribe to him as if the rules for his worship were defective, and they will attempt to amend the copy and superadd their own inventions. A godly man dare not vary from the pattern which God has shown him in the scripture, and, prob and probably this is not the least reason why David was called a man after God's own heart because he kept the springs of God's worship pure, and in sacred matters he did not introduce anything of his own devising. Use. By this characteristic, we may test ourselves whether we are godly. Are we tender about the things of God? Do we observe that mode of worship which has the stamp of divine authority on it? It has dangerous consequences to make a medley in religion. Number one, those who would add to one part of God's worship will be as ready to take away from another. Laying aside the commandment of God, you hold the traditions of men, Mark 7, 8. Those who would bring in a tradition will in time lay aside a command. The papists are very guilty of this. They bring in altars and crucifixes and lay aside the second commandment. 
They bring in oil and cream in baptism and leave out the cup in the Last Supper. They bring in praying for the dead and lay aside reading the scriptures. And the, I'm sorry, and lay aside reading the scriptures intelligibly to the living. Those who would introduce into God's worship that which he has not commanded will be as ready to blot out that which he has commanded. Number two, those who are for outward mixtures in God's worship usually disregard the vitals of religion. Living by faith, leading a strict mortified life, these things are less minded by them. Wasps have their combs, but there is no honey in them. The religion of many may be likened to those ears which turn all into straw. Number three, superstition and profaneness kiss each other. Has it not been known that those who have kneeled at a pillar have reeled in drunkenness against a post? Number four, those who are devoted to superstition are seldom or never converted. Publication, publicans and harlots go into the kingdom of God before you. Matthew twenty-one thirty-one. This was spoken to the chief priests, who were high formalists, and the reason why such people are seldom worked upon savingly is because they have a secret antipathy against the power of godliness. The snake has a fine color, but it also has a sting. So too men may look zealous and devout outwardly, but retain a sting of hatred in their hearts against goodness. This is why those who have been most hot for superstition have been most hot for persecution. The Church of Rome wears white linen, an emblem of innocence, but the Spirit of God paints her in scarlet, Revelation 17.4. Why is this? Not only because she puts on a scarlet robe, but because her body is dyed scarlet, having soaked her hands in the blood of the saints, Revelation 17.6. Let us then be let us then, because we would demonstrate that we are godly, keep close to the rule of worship, and in the things of Jehovah go no further than we can say, it is written. Section 6. A godly man is a servant of God, not a servant of men. This characteristic has two distinct branches. I will speak of both in order. Branch 1. A godly man is a servant of God. We are the servants of the God of heaven. Ezra 5.11. Epaphras, a servant of Christ, Colossians 4.12. Question. In what sense is a godly man a servant of God? Answer. In seven respects. Number one. A servant leaves all others and confines himself to one master. So a godly man leaves the service of sin and takes himself to the service of God. Romans 6.22. Two. Number two. Sin is a tyrannizing thing. A sinner is a slave when he sins with the most freedom. The wages which sin gives may deter us from its service. The wages of sin is death. Romans 6.23 Here is damnable pay. A godly man enlists himself in God's family and is one of his menial servants. O Lord, truly I am your servant. I am your servant. Psalm 116.16 David repeats himself as if he had said, Lord, I have taken pledge. No one else can lay claim to me. My ear is bored to your service. Number two, a servant is not independent at his own disposal, but at the disposal of his master. A servant must not do what he pleases, but must be at the will of his master. Thus a godly man is God's servant. He is wholly at God's disposal. He has no will of his own. Your will be done on earth. Some will say to the godly, why can you not do as others do? Why will you not drink and swear and profane the Sabbath as others do? The godly are God's servants. They must not do what they would but are under the rules of the family. They must do nothing except in what they can show their master's hand. A servant is bound. There are covenants and indentures, sealed between him and his master. Thus there are indentures drawn in baptism and in conversion. The indentures 
are renewed and sealed, there we bind ourselves to God to be his sworn servants. I have sworn and I will perform it, that I will keep your righteous judgments. Psalm 119, 106. A godly man has tied himself to a Lord by vow, and he makes conscious of his vow. He would rather die by persecution than live by perjury. Psalm 56, 12. A servant not only wears his master's uniform, but he does his work. Thus a godly man works for God. Paul spent and was spent for Christ, 2 Corinthians 12.15. He outworked all the other apostles, 1 Corinthians 15.10. A godly man is active for God to his last breath, Psalm 119.112. Only the dead rest from their labors, Revelations 14.13. A servant follows his master. Thus a godly man is a servant of God. While others wander after the beast, he follows after the lamb. Revelations 13.3 and 14.4 He will tread in the steps of Christ. If a master leaps over hedge and ditch, the servant will follow him. A godly man will follow Christ through afflictions. If any man would come after me, let him take up his cross daily and follow me. Luke 9.23 Peter followed Christ on the water. A godly man will follow Christ through though it is death at every step. He will keep his goodness when others are bad, just as all the water in the salt sea cannot make the fish salty, but they still retain their freshness. So all the wickedness in the world cannot make a godly man wicked, but he still retains his piety. He will follow Christ in the worst of times. A servant is satisfied with his master's allowance. He does not say, I would have such provisions made ready, If he has short fare, he does not find fault. He knows he is a servant and accepts his master's carving. In this sense, a godly man is God's servant. He is willing to live on God's allowance. If he has but few leftovers, he does not grumble. Paul knew he was a servant. Therefore, whether more or less fell to his share, he was indifferent. Philippians 4.11 When Christians murmur at their condition, they forget that they are servants and must live on the allowance of their heavenly master. You that have the least bit from God will die in his debt. A servant will stand up for the honor of his master. He cannot hear his master reproached, but will vindicate his credit. Thus every good man will stand up for the honor of his master Christ. My zeal has consumed me. Psalm 119.139 A servant of God testifies for his truth. Those who can hear God's name reproached and his way spoken against yet be silent, God will be ashamed of such servants and discard them before men and angels. Use, let us declare ourselves godly by being servants of the Most High God. Consider, motive one, God is the best master. He is punctilious in all his promises. There is no God like you in heaven above or on earth beneath who keeps covenants with your servants. Verse 56, no one word of all his good promise has failed. 1 Kings 8, 23 and 56. God is of a most sweet and gracious disposition. He has this property, that he is slow to anger, Psalm 103.8, and ready to forgive, Psalm 86.5. In our need, sorry, in our needs, he relieves us. In our weakness, he pities us. He reveals his secrets to his servants, Psalm 25.14 and Proverbs 3.32. He waits on his servants. Was there ever such a master? Blessed are those servants whom the Lord, when he comes, finds them watching. Truly I say to you that he will gird himself and make them sit down to meal and will come and serve them. Luke 12.37 When we are sick, he makes our bed. 
You will make all their bed in their sickness. Psalm 41.3 He holds our head when we are fainting. Other masters may forget their servants and cast them off when they are old, but God will not. You are my servant, O Israel. You shall not be forgotten by me. Isaiah 44.21 It is a slander to say that God is a hard master. Motive 2 God's service is the best service. There are six privileges in God's service. 1. Freedom. Though the saints are bound in God's service, they serve Him freely. God's Spirit, who is called a free spirit, Psalm 51.12, makes them free and cheerful in their obedience. The Spirit carries them on the wings of delight. This makes duty a privilege. It does not force, but draws. It enlarges the heart in love and fills it with joy. God's service is perfect freedom. Number 2. Honor. David the king professes himself one of God's pensioners. I am your servant. Psalm 143.12 Paul, when he would blaze his coat of arms and set forth his best heraldry, does not call himself Paul a Hebrew of the Hebrews, or Paul of the tribe of Benjamin, but Paul a servant of Jesus Christ. Romans 1.1 Theodosius, though it was a greater dignity to be God's servant than to be an emperor, Christ himself, who is equal with his father, is nevertheless not ashamed of the title servant. Isaiah 53.11 Every servant of God is a son. Every subject is a prince. It is more honor to serve God than to have kings serve us. The angels in heaven are servitors to the saints on earth. 3. Safety. God takes care of his servants. He gives them protection. You are my servant. Fear not. I am with you. Isaiah 41, 9 and 10. God hides his servants. In the secret of his tabernacle he shall hide me. Psalm 27, 5. That is, he shall keep me safe as in the most holy place of the sanctuary, where none but the priests might enter. Christ's wings are both for healing and for hiding, for curing and for securing. Malachi 4.2 The devil and his instruments would soon devour the servants of God if he did not set an invisible guard about them and cover them with the golden feathers of his protection. Psalm 91.4 I am with you and no man shall set on you to hurt you. Acts 18.10 God's watchful eye is ever on his people and the enemy shall not do the mischief they intend. They shall not be destroyers, but physicians. Gain. Atheists say it is vain to serve God, and what profit is it that we have kept his ordinances? Malachi 3.14 Besides the cover which God gives in this life, sweet peace of conscience, he reserves his best wine until last. He gives a glorious kingdom to his servants. Hebrews 12.28 The servants of God may be enslaved and abused for a while, but they shall have promotion at last. Where I am... There shall my servant be. John 12:26. Assistance. Other masters apportion work for their servants, but do not help them in their work. But our master in heaven not only gives us work, but strength. You strengthen me with strength in my soul. Psalm 138:3. God bids us serve him, and he will enable us to serve him. I will cause you to walk in my statutes, Ezekiel 36:27. The Lord not only fits work for us, but fits us for our work, along with his command. He gives power, supplies. A master will not let his servants be in need. God's servants shall be provided for. Truly you shall be fed, Psalm 37:3. Does God give us a Christ, and will he deny us a crust? He is the God who has fed me all my days, Genesis 48:15. If God does not give us what we crave, he will give us what we need. The wicked are fed, who are but dogs. Philippians 3.2 If a man feeds his dog, surely he will feed his child. Oh, then, who would not be in love with God's service? 
Motive 3. We are engaged to serve God. We are bought with a price. 1 Corinthians 6.20 This is a metaphor taken from those who ransom captives from prison by paying a sum of money for them. They are to serve those who ransom them. So when the devil has taken us prisoner, Christ ransomed us with a price, not of money, but of blood. Therefore we are to serve him only. If anyone can lay a better claim to us than Christ, we may serve them. But Christ, having the best right to us, we are to cling to him and enroll ourselves forever in his service. I pass now to the second branch of this characteristic. Branch 2. A godly man is not the servant of men. Do not be the servants of men. 1 Corinthians 7.23 Question. But is there no service that we owe to men? Answer. There is a threefold serving of men. 1. There is a civil service that we owe to men as inferior to superior. The servant is a living tool, as Aristotle said. Servants obey your masters. Ephesians 6.5 there is a religious service that we owe to men when we are are serviceable to their souls. Your servants for Jesus' sake. 2 Corinthians 4.5 There is a sinful serving of men. This consists of three things. One, when we prefer men's injunctions before God's institutions. God commands one thing. Man commands another. God says sanctify the Sabbath. Man says profane it. When men's edicts have more force on us than God's precepts, this is to be the servants of servants of men. When we voluntarily prostitute ourselves to the impure lusts of men, we let them lord it over our consciences. When we are pliable and comfortable, conformable to anything, either Arminian or atheist, either for the gospel or the Koran, when we will be what others would have us be, then we are like Issachar, who is a strong donkey crouching down between two burdens. Genesis 49.14. This is not humility, but sordidness, and it is men serving. When we are advocates in a bad cause, pleading for any impious, unjustifiable act. When we baptize sin with the name of religion, and wash the devil's face with our oratory. This is to be the servants of men. In these cases, a godly person will not so unman himself as to serve men. He says as Paul, If I pleased men, I would not be the servant of Christ. Galatians 1.10. And as Peter, we ought to obey God rather than men. Acts 5.29. Use. How many leagues distant from godliness are those who serve men, who either for fear of punishment or from hope of promotion comply with the sinful commands of men, who would put their conscience under any yoke and sail with any wind, which blows profit? These are the servants of men. They have abjured their baptismal vow and renounced the Lord who bought them to the one who is so bendable as to change into any form and bow as low as hell to please men, I would say two things. One, you, you who have learned all your postures, who can cringe and tack about, how will you look Christ in the faith face another day? When you say on your deathbed, Lord, look on your servant, Christ will disclaim you and say, my servant, no, you renounced my service. You were a servant of men. Depart from me. I do not know you. What a cooling card. I'm sorry. What a cooling card this will be at that day. What does a man get by sinfully enslaving himself? He gets a blot on his name, a curse on his estate, a hell in his conscience. No, even those who he basely stooped to serve will scorn and despise him. How the high priest kicked Judas aside. You seat to it, Matthew 27, 4. So that we may not be the servants of men, let us abandon fear and advance faith. Faith is a world-conquering grace, 1 John 
5.4. It overcomes the world's music and furnace. It steals a Christian with divine courage and makes him stand immovable like a rock in the midst of the sea. All right, that's where we're going to stop. Um, sorry, I know that ran a bit long. I didn't realize that last section was that long. Uh, thank you for spending this time with us. I hope it's been edifying for you. Um, and we are going to go ahead and close out with our second day evening prayer. It's called Bounty. Thou great and only potent, uh, let's pray, sorry, let's pray. Thou great and only potentate, thou hast made summer and winter, day and night. Each of these revolutions serves our welfare and is full of thy care and kindness. Thy bounty is seen in the relations that train us, the laws that defend us, the homes that shelter us, the food that builds us, the raiment that comforts us, the continuance of our health, members, senses, understanding, memory, affection, will. But as stars fade before the rising sun, thou hast eclipsed all these benefits in the wisdom and grace that purposed redemption by Jesus thy Son. Blessed be thy mercy that laid help on one that is mighty and willing one that is able to save to the uttermost. Make us deeply sensible of our need of his saving grace, of the blood that cleansed, cleanses of the rest he has promised, and impute to us that righteousness which justifies the guilty, gives them a title to eternal life and possession of the Spirit. May we love the freeness of salvation and joy in its holiness. Give us faith to grasp thy promises that are our hope. Provide for every exigency and prevent every evil. Keep our hearts from straying after forbidden pleasures. May thy will bind all our wishes. Let us live out of the world as to its spirit, maxim, manners, but live in it as the sphere of our action and usefulness. <clears throat> May we be alive to every call of duty, accepting without question thy determination of our circumstances and our service. Amen. Okay, again, I hope you had a good time this evening. I hope it was... It was educational and edifying um, reading from Thomas Watson. I hope you have a wonderful night, and God willing, I will see you in the morning. Have a great one. God bless.